People have opinions without being fully informed. Trust me, I'm a Canadian here. I don't care if you're a Christian, Messianic, or Hebrew roots. I want to know if your theology is biblical. Maybe I'm right. Of course I'm right. If you're going to cite a source, be responsible. You know, cite your source. You're longer college. Hey, we're just having a conversation. There's only 36 people listening anyway, right? You can Google it. Wow, at what point does history matter? At what point does truth matter? An alien invasion. Is it biblical? Of course it is. Look, there's a way to do scholarship and a way not to do scholarship. you got to cite your source. Who's your source? My best friend's sister's boyfriend's brother's girlfriend heard from this guy who knows his kid is going with the girlfriend. And that about sums it up. What up and shalom. Welcome to the Robin Caleb Show. The semi-professional video cast. Uh, my name is Caleb Hag. With me, of course, Rob Van Hoff. What up, Rob? How's it going, brother? What up? Yeah. Um. Yeah. How's it going, man? You having a good good week? Yes. This week we're doing uh, Greek finals for first first year Greek. Yeah. And so they have like I think it's thirteen verses of a of a passage that that basically the drill is they read it in Greek. And so, you know, listening for pronunciation, proper accents, etc. And they don't have to translate the whole thing. They have to read it through. And, but then I, they'll, I'll say, okay, go to this verse, this sentence, and translate it. And so they'll translate it. And then I'll say, you know, are there any verbs, you know, count all the verbs or whatever, identify them, then parse them. Ooh. Different kind of grammatical things. And it's, it's just like... Uh, you know, I hit balls out into the field, and then they have to like feel them, see, right? Yeah, just see where, yeah, yeah, see yeah. They, and then yeah. and and so there's the analysis side, and then finally the cool stuff is okay. Now that you've had time to really chew on this particular passage in in the original language, what do you see differently? You know, than you did. Maybe you really knew this passage well in a certain translation in the past, and there's all sorts of really great. Uh, things that I get to just, uh, I get to learn. I get to learn but by seeing how somebody else is coming to this text. And um, it's encouraging. It's just encouraging because you know that uh, this is a final piece that, that people can look back at how they've invested the last nine, ten months of their life sure. doing stuff that's really not easy, you know. Yeah, yeah of course. And, and now going, wow, I think I can ride this horse, you know. I think I can ride this horse. I'm not going to get bucked off it. I'm still, even... I'm still trying to, to uh, catch up to, you know, I'm still trying to, I don't know. It's it, my Greek is I'm, I've never been good at languages. So I've, I continue on my Greek studies. Hopefully next year I'll get into a Greek exegesis. Yes. Yeah, anything, it's, it, anything else besides school going on? Oh, just ongoing, you know, reading and prep just like it's been, you know, we've got, uh, getting ready to uh, go to Israel and, and that's that's the big one and I'm it's You're like so that's pumped. always cooking that's like on the simmering it's like a pot that's simmering you know and I have to go stir it and like you know make add a little salt you know I'm righteous I'm, cook. I'm, I'm righteously <laughs> jealous I mean, I don't How think so? you, because you don't understand what you're in for I mean you you're getting ready for a paper but you're gonna go to Israel and all of a sudden it's like 
you'll be in Israel. Once and the pa- yeah. once the papers read, then you're just there. That you know, then you get to hang out. You get to go to the Western Wall. You get to you know take some of the tours. Go to Masada. Go float in the Dead Sea. All sorts of stuff. Yeah, we'll see. What What do you mean? We'll see. Of course, we'll you see. could you could spend your entire time walking around the old city of Jerusalem, and you would have a blast. Yeah, maybe that's what I'll do. No, I don't know. We'll see. But any event, yeah. Right now, though, it's it's wanting to get my story straight. You know what I mean? That's that's what it is. It's like, what's my story? So and it's tough when someone who you know asks, "Well, tell me about what you're doing," and it's like I have to kind of. It's like, you know, if you go to a baseball game and you're not familiar with baseball and someone's talking, they're talking RBIs and designated hitter and and uh, perfect game, you know, all these kinds of words that are insider terms. And uh, to someone who's not familiar with baseball, all that stuff is just like, wait a minute, I don't even know how to, what you guys, I understand some of the words, but I don't understand what you guys are talking about. I know you're talking in English, I just don't understand it. So it's kind of that kind of thing. There's a, a, a big part of what I'm doing is addressing kind of minute details of, of a specialized sure. world, you know, that is Masoretic Studies, which I think is amazing because that's the front line. The Masora is the front is really uh, the unavoidable, you know, front line of should, our okay, translation so, uh, of of Tanakh. Okay, hang on just a sec though. We should tell people for for those who might not know if you've if you've never watched our show before or if you're not familiar with what the Masoretic studies is. Those are the 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 Masoretes were the people who uh, wrote the text of the Hebrew Bible uh, down. They copied it. They preserved it. the, the they pre- both the consonants and its vocalization. And they wrote notes and and, and notes about it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And so the, that's the the study that he's talking that uh, Robert here is talking about is, and that's what he will be presenting not only at uh, in Jerusalem, right? It, it is in your conference is in Jerusalem for yeah, there's one, for the top and, and then and then at SBL in November for the world which is in Boston the world renowned uh, you know. Um, uh, scholars in the Masoretic studies will be at this, uh, at this series that, <laughs> that Rob's presenting on. Okay. Um, uh, well, yeah, I've exactly. Occasional deer in head, deer in the headlights kind of feeling. Exactly. Um, uh, well, maybe I should just ask the chat room. So the chat room said that your mic was a little hot. I tried to fix it. Yes. Uh, let, let somebody, uh, let me know in the chat room if, uh, if his mic is still hot or if it's come down a little bit. Okay. Um, okay. So, we have a lot to talk about today, don't we? But I, I want, if I can say one more thing. Yeah, Caleb. of course. You know, in my, in, in my, in the adventure that is my discipleship to Yeshua, you know, we each have our own adventure. Sure. We're all going to have our places where something's scary and it's hard to do. But back to the baseball analogy, I'm not even a huge baseball fan, but we, we have to step up to the plate, in other words. You know what I mean? And so... Uh, I feel like that every time we do this show. It's not <laughs> little scared. Yeah, it, be, yeah, it is a little bit of that, but it's not just it, for disciples of Yeshua. It's not just some oh those only those guys do the hard thing. No, we all are called to do to follow Yeshua, and He's going to be. It's His life in us in whatever situation we're in, and for us to to do that, where He says, you know, you pack up the pack up the flower so it's running over you know when you when you like a good trade in other words you, we want to deliver 
to the best of our strengths in a good conscience before the Lord. Yeah. Um, and with a, a desire to, to, uh, to have a standard of excellence and honesty and truth and, uh, extend goodwill and kindness. I mean, that's, that should be our, our initial desire, uh, as it says, you know, in as much as a, in, as a, as is in you try to live in shalom with people. And, um, you know, I love it when I talk to people who like they leave their job and they go to a new job, but then they hear like, you know, my, my old boss called and they really want me back, you know, you know, it's like, it means that even if it's just in a, a job that has nothing to do with, you know, quote religion or faith, what it means is that they see your integrity. They see your work ethic. They see that you brought value and they miss you. And they're like, man, we, we really value from having you around. I think what all of Yeshua's disciples should aspire to that delivering that kind of, um, of service. Oh man, you you're, know. you're, you're already hitting on, on, th- on topics we're going to talk cool. about in, in a little bit. Um, so let's do this first. First of all, uh, we have come now to show 178. That's right. This is the 178th time Rob and I have come on the air. And of course, show 178 is brought to you by, as always, TorahResource.com. Go to Torah Resource and find all sorts of great stuff. Free articles, free uh, audio sometimes, videos. Um, there's all sorts of stuff that you can that you can see. And then, of course, uh, for a small fee every year, you can uh, access our entire digital library, which is more uh, more material than you will be able to get through in five years, let alone one year. Um, so go to torresource.com. There's and actually, I don't think that people realize how uh, much work has been going into getting this, uh, getting our website redone um, and putting everything together into one. And it's going to continue throughout the summer, but uh, we should see some changes there shortly. So we hope that you enjoy that. And of course, uh, also. Brought to you, one uh, show 178 is also brought to you by Chava Messianic Radio. Uh, our good friend Judah has put together a website. Uh, if you like Messianic m- music or um, Hebrew Roots movement music, whatever you want to say, um, you can go to this website. It is really uh, a masterful I don't know how he did it, but he, he, it's like, I said it last week, I'll say it again. It's like uh, Pandora on steroids. You can skip as much as you want. You can favorite things. You can, uh, you can request specific songs and play them right, right away. Um, so uh, someone like me, I'm very picky when it comes to listening to Messianic music because I don't like a lot of I don't like a lot of the style. And so one of the really nice things for me about uh, Messianic Radio, Chava Messianic Radio, is that it allows me to be very specific about what I listen to. And uh, so I really like that. Anyway, uh, www.messianicradio.com. And, of course, call us up and leave us comments. You can do that by calling 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. And you won't talk to us. You know, just, just leave a message. That means you can yell into the phone all you want. And then, of course, send us emails. And we're going to get to emails uh, today, which is uh, one of the things that really drives our show. And so we appreciate them always. And so you can send emails to chegg, that's C-H-E-G-G, at TorahResource.com. Chegg at TorahResource.com. Okay. Cool. 
Yeah. I, I want to, I need to say something <clears throat> for show 178. Rob is officially not reading the chat room stream. Yes. Because la- I got flack from Caleb for the last <laughs> couple of uh, shows where I started uh, tuning him out and, <laughs> and trying to trace all the different conversations going on and actually give my little two cents worth here and there. And it, it, uh, it doesn't make for good programming. So I'm <laughs> plus I think it was really bogging my poor CPU down here a well, little that's, bit. Well that's and, just and, it. Your 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 voice and your lips are actually uh, much more synced right now. So that's good. <laughs> so it's all good. It's all good. So I miss you guys today. I'll miss you guys reading your great comments and questions. But uh, you know, it'll it's all good. Yes. The high council, as we like to call them. Okay. So let's uh, let's get to it. Actually, um, hmm, I wonder if I can open this now. Uh, hang with me for just a second, everybody, as I attempt to open a program that, uh, who knows, it could crash everything. Um, Oops. I forgot to open up my soundboard in this. Uh, it's not like I bought the program. It's not bootlegged, but whoever wrote the code for it was certainly no uh, judo over at Messianic. Radio. I mean, this, this, yeah, it crashes constantly. It's, it's not messianic radio, this program rather. Um, so, um, yeah. Okay. So it looks like it's opening. We're going to move it over here. Okay. So, uh, we do have, uh, some email and let's open up the Rob and Caleb show mailbag. Mail Okay, um, so we got two just killer emails this last week. Really, really great emails. And uh, so I'll just read them in full because why not? Um, and by the way, my allergies are killing me for those who can see me. If you, Yeah. Anyway, okay. Um, listen to this one. I was curious if on the next show you guys could go over these verses. But he answered them. This is a quote now. And you can find this in your show notes. This is John 5, 17 through 18. And uh, this person, Corey, uh, quotes from the NASB. But he answered them, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. When it says he broke, that's the end quote of the uh, of the scripture that he's quoting here. When it says he broke the Sabbath, is this in reference to the Pharisaic view of the Sabbath? And how can these verses be reconciled with where it speaks of a man being stoned for gathering wood on the Sabbath? So in other words, what made carrying a pallet okay, but wood not okay? Was it intent or difference in weight or simply because God sees one as rest while the other labor. Okay, so let's actually go here. I forgot to bring Did out Did you say my... there was two verses? That was John 17 and 18. I actually want to... Oh, I, I mean, did he... Uh, John, I'm sorry, John 5, 17 and 18. Did I say that right? Um, oh, that was... I thought you said there were... Oh, are those the, the two verses? Those, well, or, no. Or is the, there another... The, so in our next email, we'll look at the end of Acts oh, the other, 18. I was yeah. thinking one email had two separate verses. No, no, no. Okay, so let's look at a little context here. Uh, for John seven five seventeen. Good question, by the way. Yeah. Um, Good now, uh, uh, now that the day was the Sabbath. Okay, so uh, this starting at the end of uh, five nine, 
he says uh, it claim it says that it was the Sabbath. It says so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, "It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed." But he answered them, "The man who healed me, that man said to me, "Take up your bed and walk." They asked him, "Who is the man who said to you, "Take up your bed and walk?" Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Yeshua had withdrawn as there was a crowd in that place. Afterward, Yeshua found him in the, uh, Yeshua found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Yeshua who had healed him. And then we get into, so that's the end of 15. And this was, the, and this was why the Jews were persecuting Yeshua, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Okay, so now we have context. The whole context, obviously, is that Yeshua heals this man on the Sabbath, <clears throat> and he tells him to pick up his bed and walk. Um, so there's several things that I think are going on here. Do you want to exegete this first, or shall I? Or the chat room, maybe. Well, I've got, I'll share some ideas. Go. Um, there we to be real thorough, we want to come at it from a few different perspectives, and all of each of which could you probably write a book in its own right. One is just the Gospel of John as a whole, and where, as John is telling the Gospel, where this particular healing uh, fits in with later, then he heals a blind man, and then he brings Lazarus, he raises Lazarus from the dead. Okay, so these are all... John kind of sets these miracles up. Sure. Uh, and then, of course, finally, Yeshua himself dies and resurrects from the dead. Um, so understanding um, from the Gospel of John as a whole is one, but sp specifically pertaining to hit the question in the email has to do with, this is Shabbat, and there seems to be a conflict. How Do, do we understand the critics of Yeshua here as being in alignment with, for example, Leviticus, or uh, is it Numbers, with the, with where the man, it's in the book of Numbers, where he gathers sticks and is stoned. Um, and, and with that regard, we need to look at Yeshua's other Sabbath situations, and my, uh, there's another method, um, where he's criticized for breaking the Sabbath. And of course, the other one is the disciples are gleaning, right? And, and Yeshua explicitly talks about the priests. He says the priests profane the, the Shabbat, but are not, but are innocent. And so why does he do this? In my view, um, the discerning factor is who Yeshua is, and that's very much in the critics' view here, because they're, say, they're equating his authority with his, uh, of his telling this person to, to pick up this pallet with this claim that he is equal with God. And, uh, and I think it's in the Gospel of Luke where Yeshua comes into the synagogue and he reads Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 61, I think. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, right? For he has anointed me to preach the good news, right? Uh, to heal the, uh, uh, forgive me, I'm paraphrasing here, um, to brokenhearted, I think, um, to proclaim freedom, to the captives, I probably got the word order wrong here, and then finally to to free the those who are bound. Okay, so when we understand Yeshua as a type of priest, now he's not a Levitical priest, he's not a son of Aaron, we get that, 
But what Yeshua is saying is if what is true for the Levitical priests, all the more so will be true for the Son of Man. So the Kohanim and the Levites, they serve, they work on the Shabbat, but their work that they do is not reckoned as labor for material gain or security. It's God's work, which ultimately is around teaching the Torah, teaching God's word to people, which teaches them to understand the difference between holiness and profane, what is clean, what is unclean, what is sin, and then and then the restoration, steps of restoration for redemption from sin, right, and atonement. That's all the program of the priest, and that's 24-7. That, 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 that labor of, of bringing God's word, of mediating God's Torah to his people does not cease on the Shabbat. So what Yeshua's point is making, if that, that's true for the Levitical priests— He's saying, I am the son of man, and I, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to do all these things. When he heals this man, this man, it says he was in, uh, he was in his weakness for, I don't know, was it 40 years or something like that? This person was in bondage. He was in a kind of a living hell, right? I mean, imagine for whether it's 30 years or 40, whatever, imagine I mean, I'm just over 40 years old. So, I mean, imagine, Caleb, your whole life, your whole life, you can't walk, and you're there just begging and desiring to be healed, okay? That's that's kind of like a living hell, okay? That's a type of bondage. Yeshua frees this man, and Yeshua ties it in, according to the man's own confession to the, these critics. Yeshua's the one that said, don't continue in your sin, See sinning. The, only, the person who, who and that's a that's a priestly uh, that that's a priestly type of activity to te- to tell someone see sinning, right? That's what the read the book of Malachi, right? That they would find Torah on the lips of the priest. So Yeshua is telling this man up about sin and that sin is to be avoided. These, Paris, these Pharisees or whatever, they're not telling this man about it. They're wanting to judge and condemn Yeshua because they don't like him for whatever, because he's in his power and his authority is encroaching on their racket, their racketeer business. And that's, that's the way I see this. So, okay, so, 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 they, so Yeshua was not, in fact, breaking the Shabbat. He was acting in accordance with his mission with his, uh, you know, with what he's here to do, which is not reckoned as work for his own. It's not business. The reason the guy was carrying the pallet and this also, if I, if you give me one more minute, by the end of John five, he says the father has entrusted the son with judgment, with mishpat. And, and you have to judge righteously. Well, they just see the guy carrying the pallet and judge him right off the bat. They don't know the story. They have no nuance to what's going on here, but they're ready to make a judgment about a person at a moment's notice where Yeshua knows, you know, us, the reader, we, we see all this context and we see that Yeshua healed the guy. The guy wasn't carrying his pallet because, or mat because he's going to go do business. He is, he's actually being obedient and he's, he's now enabled as a, a human who has full capacity of his body now and is probably beside himself with like uh, disbelief that this has happened. A, the fact, sure, I'll get my pallet. I want to get out of here. Um, 
See, I, the, the, these these Pharisees can't celebrate this. <laughs> they can't celebrate the healing with him because they're ready to pounce on him. See, I take a totally different uh, approach to this, and I think I, I, maybe not totally different, but I take a different approach to this. They don't they don't get upset at the guy for carrying his pallet. They don't say, "Hey, what are you doing?" The the issue for them is no, not. They say, "Yeah, they say you're doing something that's not lawful." No, they don't. That's not yeah, what's said. Do. The, nope. No, they Verse don't. Verse ten, buddy. It is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. Yeah, but why don't? But, what, but why are they getting mad at Yeshua? No, that's what they tell the guy. I know, but why? But why are they getting mad at Yeshua for that? Why? Because down in look, they say earlier, later in seven, uh, in sixteen, and this is why the Jews were persecuting Yeshua because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. He wasn't carrying the pallet. And if we look at if we look at uh, the history of of okay, so for instance, we know that in uh, in the first century during the Passover, they declared the entire city to be a clean place, right? You couldn't enter the city of Jerusalem unless you were ritually clean. And so I'm not saying that this is the, that we can take the later rabbinic literature and read it back into the first century. However, later rabbinic literature says that they would, that they made the entire, the entire city of Jerusalem in a roof, right? Your place. You were allowed to pick up things in your roof and carry them. If they were in Jerusalem, he had no problem picking up his pal. But, that, that, but Caleb, that, then why verse 10? I think that what's going why on... they say it's not... Why are you carrying that? Because it's not lawful for you to carry it. Okay, but once again, now let's go to the Torah. Where in the world does it, does it say in the Torah that a person's not allowed to pick something up on the Shabbat? It doesn't. Exactly. No, it's, it's only so, for the... It's, it would be for business. If someone's doing something because it's for the sake of breaking the Shabbat, in other words... Exactly. Yeah. So, so my point is, is that they're not... First of all, they're not getting upset at the man for... They say that it's unlawful to do it. But they're getting mad at Yeshua for telling him to do it. I think it's more that I in verse uh, sixteen. I think it's more that he's healing on the Shabbat. We see them. We see them get mad at him for healing on the Shabbat, and he talks about the donkey being pulled out of the out of the uh, the pit, right? And so Yeshua is not doing anything that's unlawful or against Torah in this. He doesn't do anything. Agreed. That, Agreed. He, he doesn't oh, no, do anything he, that breaks the, the Torah. That's what I mean. That's why I brought Isaiah sixty one into it. When he's freeing the captives, when he's when he's releasing the prisoners, this guy was as for how many years was he? I have to look back. I don't remember how many verse, how many years, but it was a whole long time that this guy had been uh, in this infirmity. Yeah, and so I'm with you a, on that. His healing is a free. I, I agree. I think we're on the same page. Healing is is not something that is is like a work <laughs> pertaining to like some my own livelihood or something. Yeah, yeah. So I, I and the the chat room wants this. Thirty eight uh, years. <laughs> Thirty eight. I said um, forty. The, the, the point, my point is this: is that the the Pharisees have or whoever's you know his his opponents have a uh, wonderful way of trying to nail Yeshua on things that aren't found in the Torah. So whether or not they're what we would call oral law today, rabbinical law, Pharisaic law, maybe it was uh, according to a specific sect, um, it seems as though, I, and I, I could be wrong on this, but it seems to me like the Pharisees somewhat ha- uh, ruled the Jerusalem law uh, in terms of the halakha that was performed in Jerusalem. Now, I could be wrong on that, but that's kind of how it seems to me. And so uh, I, I, what I see going on here is they're they constantly trying to nail him, right? They're constantly trying to back him into a corner. 
And they're doing this with all this, uh, you know, with all these traditions of men and whatnot. We don't see in the Torah anywhere where it says that you can't pick something up and move it. Right? So, I mean, I, I think that you're right. I think that, uh, you know, obviously he has the ability to heal people. If you can pull a donkey out of the, out of the, uh, uh out of a pit on, on Shabbat, you certainly can heal somebody. Yeshua makes this point himself, I think. Um, so I don't think that he's actually breaking the Sabbath at all. I think he's breaking the Sabbath according to them. Right. So I think that's, the, that's my point. I think we're on the same page though, right? And, and if, back to the point about reading other the way John frames other healing situations, like with the blind man, I think it's in chapter nine, the idea of sin, the only place, if I remember right, the only place that we see the verb sin in John five is where Yeshua, out of the testimony of the person who's healed, he says, he told me to stop sinning. Um, it was Yeshua telling somebody to stop it. <laughs> yeah. Stop, <laughs> trans- stop transgressing the Torah. Um, and then, but in John nine with the blind man, the blind man's talking to the religious leaders, and he said, if I recall something about, you know, we know that God doesn't hear sinners, but yet this man uh, healed me. And, and, and he's like, they're baffled because they're like, well, we can't understand. We, uh, they're saying, we're not the sinners, you're the sinner, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, anyway. Okay, so we have, another, we have another fun one. This one actually is, I, I had fun with this one as well. So this is from, uh, Mark wrote this in. He says, uh, I've wondered what is going on in Acts 18.24 through Acts 19.10. What does Apollos know or understand about Jesus and the Lord and John and his baptism, yet does not know of the Holy Spirit, but was able to, excuse me, was able to speak in the Spirit teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus? To what extent does Priscillus and Aquila correct Apollos, yet fail to inform him of Holy Spirit and baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus? To what extent had Paul spoken and taught Priscilla and Aquila these things? Okay, let's go to the text, and we'll read this for our listeners, because uh, I don't think most of us probably have Acts 18, 24 through 19, 10 memorized. So Acts, I'm reading out of the ESV now. Uh, it's uh, Acts 18, 24 and following. Now, <clears throat> now a Jew came uh, named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, who... I'm sorry, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Christ was Jesus. Now we're on to 19. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Okay, now, can we stop for a second? Can we already sure. start talking about this? I think that the, the, the story has changed. 
In 19.1, it says that Apollos is in Corinth, but Paul goes to Ephesus. So I don't see Apollos being a part of the group of disciples that Paul goes to in Ephesus. Do you think I'm off in that? Well, in, in 24, he, he he's in Ephesus at some time. Correct. Right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But I think... That, assumingly, uh, Apollos is the one who's teaching in the, that synagogue at Ephesus. Yeah, but it seems like he leaves, right? He goes to Corinth. So in 19.1, it says, and it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. And there okay, he so found some disciples. Now that we've read it, let's go ahead and... Do we want to go back and read the question again? Okay, hang on. Well, well, hang on. We haven't gotten to 10. So so this is, I think this is really where the, the question comes in 19.2. So now Paul is in Ephesus talking to these disciples that he's found. And he says, uh, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that that is Yeshua or Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all, and he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some uh, became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This, is, uh, this continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord both Jew and Greek. Okay, so I think the question is, how could these people be, how could these disciples be referred to as believers and not know about the Holy Spirit as we see in 19.2? Whether or not, and I mean, we can, we can, we could argue about whether or not Apollos is there or not. It does, I don't think it really even matters. I think that the point is, is how do we see that, uh, that Paul comes to these disciples who are called believers, yet they don't have the Holy Spirit and have never heard of the Holy Spirit. Right. My thought is this, and this is what I believe about this passage. I don't think it means that they, that they were not uh, changed and even indwelled with the Holy Spirit. That is the spirit of Yeshua, the spirit of God when they became believers. However, I think that what the spirit that we see at Pentecost or at Shavuot, when uh, the Holy Spirit comes, everybody starts speaking in tongues Christians will argue a lot, and that's a blanket statement. Many Christians will argue a lot that uh, that the Spirit was not the Holy Spirit was not given to anyone before the Shavuot. Uh, what happened at Shavuot and Acts? Right, that before that the Holy Spirit was not active. I disagree with that. I think that people were saved exactly the same way before uh, before the Shavuot experience as after, and so. When Abraham believed and it was reckoned to him as faith, he was indwelled with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I'm sorry. It was, thank you, thank you. Uh, it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Uh, he, he was indwelled with the Holy Spirit. Same with Moses, same with David. All these people uh, that believed before the Messiah came were still indwelled with the Holy Spirit. So what's the difference? And we've talked about this before. What's the difference at Shavuot? 
at this uh, the Shavuot experience in Acts. I think the difference is, is that now the mission had changed. They were indwelled with the Holy Spirit with the power to go to the nations and to give the gospel to the nations. And this was the change. And so in 19... Uh, in 19.2 and following, I think this is what he's talking about. Have you received the Holy Spirit? No, we haven't. And what happens? As soon as they receive the Holy Spirit, they start speaking in other languages and they start prophesying. And this is what this was the gift that was given to them through the Holy Spirit to take the gospel to the nations. That's my thought. Rob? No, I think that's really well put. I, I, another way to would just kind of twist the model that we're investigating here a little bit, or not to twist it, but to turn it and shift our perspective. We can also think in terms of of uh, waves going out, the, the waves going out into the diaspora. And if you think of currency, for example, uh, think about coins. Okay, so there's a coin called John's baptism, right? And even, even during Yeshua's life and ministry, there could have been uh, people who had received John's baptism. For we know how many people received John's baptism. I mean, we know thousands and thousands of people. And let's say they moved back to Ephesus or whatever, and they have these coins, metaphorical coins, of the baptism of John and repentance. And they're out, and there's people hearing it, and they believe it, and they're drawn to it. That doesn't mean they're fully shaped in terms of what they're... Uh, theological stances or, or that they're ready, that they're necessarily equipped to, like you're pointing out the end goal, to be able to, to articulate clearly by the, with the authority promised from the Father that Yeshua talks about in Acts chapter 1, to bring this, this message to all nations. But there, it, it nevertheless is genuine and true and in alignment and, and is good soil to receive that next wave. So the next wave, let's say, just just to, for broad brushstrokes, we have our chronology. Even in Yeshua's ministry on earth, we have this wave going out of people excited and um, refreshed with the, with the baptism of repentance through John. They value John as a prophet. No one's going to steer him otherwise, right? They know that John is a prophet, and they were shook into the core they believed, they were uh, immersed, etc. Now you have little discipleship packets out there of that. And then, you know, after how many years in Shavuot and, and to where we are now with chapter 18 and 19, we have the wave of that Shavuot empowerment of the, of the inside apostles, right, going out. And we're seeing those touch each other. We're seeing those... Uh, it's like a new coin, right? All of a sudden, there's this new coin. They're like, oh, wow, is this coin? Do I, yeah, this, the old coin you had pointed towards this coin, and here's, here's, the, here's the real deal. And it's about, there's, John was this transition figure, right, pointing to Yeshua, and then Yeshua, what does Yeshua do? He has this gospel message, which means we're not supposed to judge people by, oh, you're a Jew, you're a Greek, you're a slave, you're free, you're male, you're female, and therefore we're going to, you know, judge you, you know, in advance uh, and decide where you fit or whether we're going to exclude you or not. Just like we, there's a new empowerment that that wipes all that kind of clubhouse mentality away, and these and people are putting their life on the line for this truth now in, in a way that hadn't happened before. Okay, and so go ahead. I'm sorry. Nope. That's basically that's basically the way I understand this. So in the chat room, and I, this is an important question, and I, th I think this is good because it'll help us uh, maybe help us clarify. 
Uh, he says, I'm not aware of any scripture describing Abraham, etc., as indwelled by the Holy Spirit. On what do you base this? Why do you think there is silence in the scripture on this? Not that I disagree, just wondering about your basis for this. Okay, so first of all, the scriptures are not silent about this. David specifically says, take not your spirit from me, right? How can... How can how can uh, God take His Spirit from Him if it hasn't been given to Him? Mm. Okay, that's number one. Number two, we see that in uh, in the apostolic scriptures. Before, so the question that I would have is: At what point is the Holy Spirit given and indwelling believers? Is it at the Shavuot experience in Acts? Is that when the Holy Spirit is given? Is it at Christ's death on the cross? Is that when the Holy Spirit is given and indwells the, the believer? Because we see that before Yeshua is even born in Luke, right? Yochanan's uh, father, Zechariah, he's in the temple, right? And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, that's Luke's uh, 167. Well, if the Holy Spirit hadn't been given into she until Shavuot, after Yeshua died, or the Holy Spirit wasn't given until Yeshua actually died on the cross, then how is Zechariah filled with the Holy Spirit in Luke 167? The Holy Spirit continues to work throughout the uh, the the Torah and throughout the, the Tanakh. I, the question is, what is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? I think that the way that the apostolic scriptures uh, use it predominantly, especially after the Acts, uh, the Acts, uh, occasion when they when uh, Shavuot happens I think that that the apostolic scriptures predominantly use it as the Holy Spirit turning the gospel out to the nations <clears throat> and this is why we see so much language of it after acts but that doesn't mean that it's not there beforehand any believer who who uh, has uh, who has true faith in the in the in the saving work of the Messiah on the cross is given his spirit. And this is not time-bound. The other thing is, is that if the que the question would have to go back to soteriology. If we believe that something changed in the way that a believer is saved before or after Yeshua came, well, then God changes, right? If if we can enter into the, the holy presence of the almighty, all-holy God, and our sin is affected differently before he comes than after he comes, doesn't that mean that God's holiness changes? So, I mean, we get into, uh, there's all sorts of different reasons that I, that I think that we can say that the Holy Spirit indwells all believers and always has. It's what is the function of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and how does the apostolic scriptures use it after the Shavuot? Uh, after the empowerment yes. of Shavuot. Yeah. <clears throat> exactly. I, I would say just real quick, we twice in, I think at least twice, one in Isaiah and one in Second Chronicles, Isaiah 41, 8, God himself Call, says Abraham Ohavi, my lover, one the one who loves me. That's that's on the mouth of the Lord saying Abraham, who loves me. Some translation, my friend. The point is this: is like how that means Abraham fulfilled the Shema, right? He, it, God's not going to say that person loves me and be a liar. Right, God's not a liar. So if so if if God Himself is testifying, Abraham loves me, mm -hmm. then 
I have to, uh, there, there can't be a, a sin issue that's on that. Whereas God's curse would be hanging on Abraham's shoulders, right? I mean, yeah. that, that wouldn't make sense. Abraham understood by faith that righteousness was by faith, not by anything he was going to do to impress God. And then his life was a giving of uh, all the time. He was learning to, to walk as a disciple, right? Of learning to walk that faith out. So, the, so the um, other, the other, the other issue here is, and I see, I see some of the comments that are going on in the chat room. But the point is, is uh, another point is when we say indwelling, what does that look like? Does it look like what happened in Acts at Shavuot? If so, then shouldn't I mean? Then should we take the Pentecostal view, the extreme Pentecostal view? And not, I mean, not to put down Pentecostals, but there are some extreme Pentecostals who are going to tell you that if you don't speak in tongues, you have not been indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Is that what indwelling by the Holy Spirit means? Or does it mean that God, that you are now in covenant relationship with God and that God turns you to himself and that he regenerates you? That This has clearly happened to any believer uh, even before the time of the Messiah. To me, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit does not mean speaking in tongues and prophesying. That's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to take the gospel to the nations. That's the change in Acts. But the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is, is coming into covenant relationship with the, with the Almighty, turning to him, being regenerated through the Holy Spirit, which means sanctification unto Christ. That's, I mean, that's how I, that's how I take it because if, and I mean, I guess my point is, is that if you are going to say that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit has to look like what it does at, in Acts for all believers, then we have significant problems for people who don't speak in, in, in tongues, right? So. Anyway, okay, let's move on. A good, good, good discussion in uh, the uh, the the chat room, also known as the High Council. I love, man. We got some great people in in the uh, in the in the chat room. <laughs> Somebody said, "Welcome to the welcome to the High Council." Uh, great. Um, so, uh, a thank you to everyone in the chat room. Uh, the conversations that go in there go on in the chat room. Uh, it's hard for Rob and I not to get sucked into them because they are so good. And uh, that's one reason that I try not to look at the chat room very often. And one reason that Rob is attempting not to look at the chat yeah, room at all. I don't even have it on. <laughs> not even. So I'm but we, about it, but that's all right. We sure do appreciate uh, everybody in the chat room. Even if even those who disagree with us, I, it, it really does help us. Uh, it helps us form our our understanding better and, and to talk about things that really need to be talked about. Right. I mean, was, heaven knows that Rob and I certainly don't know everything there is to know. Uh, and so, uh, there are people in the chat room that are, uh, boy, uh, talk about great biblical minds. Okay. So, um, yeah, let's move on. Now what we're going to move on to, this could be an entire show. Okay. Now for those who, who don't know, um, I've, written on, um, I've written on, on Hasidic Judaism. I've written on the Zadik. I've written on the Zohar. Uh, Rob 
teaches classes. Actually, I got into those studies not because I, I found them to be super interesting, but rather because I took classes at Torah Resource Institute, and Rob was my my rabbinics teacher. And so we got into Jewish mysticism and, and some of these later uh, theologies that are found in, in modern-day Judaism. And uh, so that's this, this is not necessarily anything new to me. However, I started reading a book that I'm sure most people – at least in the chat room, maybe not most people listening, but I'd say a lot of the people in the chat room have, have probably read and maybe even multiple times. It's called The Rebbe's Army. And this is a, this was a very famous book that came out in 2002. Uh, it's about Menachem Schneerson. Menachem Schneerson, for those who don't know, was the uh, what's called a Rebbe, not a rabbi, but a Rebbe. He was the Rebbe of the, uh, the now huge sect of Hasidic Judaism known as the Chabad. Um, if you are in a major city, I can guarantee you there is a Chabad house somewhere in your city, whether you know it or not. If you're in a, a not-so-major city, you probably still have a Chabad house somewhere. And sometimes you have a Chabad house uh, even in the most remote areas. They have made an extreme uh, mission out of going out and evangelizing, not to Christianity, of course, but to their Rebbe. And their Rebbe, Menachem Schneerson, died in, what was it, 94? I think he died in 94. Yeah, it's in the mid-90s, yeah. And uh, so it, this conversation actually might take longer than just uh, the rest of this show because there's so many different aspects we could talk about this. Um, so Schneerson died in his 90s. Uh, he was seen as the, uh, the, the Zadik of the community. And basically what I'm learning in reading this book, uh, and I will readily admit that this book is certainly not for everyone. It was written by a woman who was raised in what I think is a uh, reform setting of Judaism. And uh, so she's giving you much more history. She's not necessarily agreeing, at least up to the part that I'm in. She's not necessarily agreeing or taking sides or anything. She's just giving you history of, of this movement of Hasidic Judaism. So for those who don't know, Hasidic Judaism is a form of, of uh, what I'd consider mystical Judaism that really started to take shape in the 1700s with the Baal Shem Tov, who was a, uh, a medicine man, essentially, a Jewish medicine man. Um, and he was, he was taking from Jewish mysticism and kind of changing the face of of Judaism as we they knew it then and turning it into something completely different. His disciple came up with the idea of the, I think it was his disciple, came up with the idea of the Zadik. And the Zadik was the spiritual leader that uh, would govern a group. And the theology of, Zad, of the Zadik will sound very familiar even to Christians my thought is, and my thought has been for a long time, in fact, in your show notes, you'll find an article that I wrote on, it's called Yeshua and the, uh, Yeshua and the Theology of the Tzadik. Is that what it is? Um, yes. Yeshua versus the Hasidic Tzadik. Um, so I wrote a paper on this and I presented it at, at a conference. I read it actually for a class that, that Rob gave. Um, what is striking to me is how much this theology of the Tzadik actually parallels that of Yeshua. Now, I can't say that it that they directly took it from Christianity. What do you think, Rob? Do you think it was influenced by Christian theology? Well, in 
uh, Hasidism that you're describing from the Baal Shem Tov, and he was one of many, right? Baalei Shem Tov. Yes. So there were other shamanistic kind of rebbies or whatever uh, in the in the time, but that's in Eastern Europe, right? Uh, and so um, it wasn't under Christian domain, really, like you know, like in France or in Germany or in in Spain. It was kind of a European Jewish culture or world that didn't have Christians like like imposing uh, any kind of framework for thinking about the Bible or anything. Uh, so there, it's a time that's relatively free from having to respond to Christian claims. So you have, you know, some generations of, of Jews who uh, are uh, expression, expressing their devotion through, you know, different, you know, the mitzvot, commandments, etc., without this kind of need to have to defend themselves against Christian theology. So, so that's that's unique about it. But the other thing that's unique is that the texts that they took as sacred, however, primarily uh, Sefer HaZohar, the, the Zohar, was in fact shaped largely in the, you know, 13th century Spain, mm-hmm. where you have heavy Catholicism, yes. heavy Mary adoration, uh in physical imagery, in the architecture, images of the mother of God and, and all these kinds of things, as the, as the Catholics would have put it, and, and uh, worship of Mary. That, so while the Hasidic grew, uh, mystics from the 1700s 1800s were free from direct you know, imposition of Christian ideas and the need to like, respond to those, they, the text they held as they kind of naively, you know, took these texts that they held sacred, that that had Christian fingerprints all over them. Yeah, and they imbibed them, imbibed them as holy. And so that's one of the reasons. And uh, a, a scholar who's written quite a bit about this, Shaul Magid, Shaul M A G I D, Shaul Magid. He's I think at Indiana University or University of Indiana. Anyway, he's he's a uh, He's a pretty uh, well-respected, and he's a good writer. He's written a lot about this issue. But uh, in any event, so while they were not directly, they, it's like yes and no, they were influenced. They had ideas that come out, and it's like, man, that if they only knew, yeah. <laughs> right? If they only knew. And today we can look back and we can look at all and go, yeah, see, it was there. You just imagined it as part of your tradition when, in fact, it was uh, – kind of there uh, by imprint or fingerprints, I think, fingerprints from, from that uh, Spanish Catholic, uh, Catholicism of like the 13th century. Well, we see, we see a parallel between Christianity and Judaism throughout the ages, right? I mean, the Jewish mystics kind of are studying this one thing, and you almost see a parallel in Judaism. We see this even in uh, the rise of, of Hasidic Judaism, because uh, the Baal Shem Tov, what he was teaching was, uh, the original teaching was, you come close to God within Judaism. The teaching was you come close to God through study. So if you really want to get close to God, you come to a yeshiva, a, a school, and you learn the texts and you study and you become proficient in the Torah and the Talmud and the Mishnah and these things. And that's how you come close to God. 
The same thing was going on in Christianity. Well, and you and and the other side of that, and you know how to help a community keep the commandments collectively. Exactly. Right? I mean, it's not all yes. about the individual. It's yes. about we need we need to shepherd Jews according to rabbinic halakha, right? But but the same thing the same thing is happening in Christianity at the same time, right? The seminaries are are being formed that that are still around today. Oxford and these other seminary biblical seminaries. The Catholic Church is is uh, making sure that people they're trying desperately to make it so people can't read their Bibles because only the learned ones, you know, the people who go and learn the languages can learn the Bible. And these things, right? And so uh, you had this big emphasis on schooling, both in Ju- Judaism and Christianity. Then what happened? Right around uh, the 1700s, you have the Baal Shem Tov and whatnot start to turn this. He says, no, 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 it's through experience. It's through personal experience. If you really want to know God, go out into the, the woods, put yourself into a trance and, you, you know, see a whole new spirituality. And at the same time, you have the rise of the Quakers and this idea of an experience, an emotional experience, right? And so the, the Baal Shem Tov teaches more of an experiential Judaism. I don't think I said that word right. And uh, so let's just read a little bit of what, what is uh, described by the Evo Dictionary. I'm sorry, the Evo Encyclopedia as, uh, as what the Zadik's role is within these communities. Um, a Hasidic community owes the Tzadik complete faith and loyalty. It has perceived him as the intermediary between themselves and God. And where do we, I mean, obviously, I think that's every Christian's going to say that this sounds a whole lot like what we say about Yeshua, right? He's the intermediary between us and the whole, the, the most high. He's, he's sitting in the throne room of God. Uh, as the divine representative in, in their midst is, is, so basically, the tzaddik is uh, seen as the divine representative in the community's midst, and their worship of God is to be directed through him. This is what the Hasids are saying about their Rebbe. And in some, and in some community, now of course, just to, we always have to give our little caveat, Hasidism branched out. Right. By yes. the early 1800s. So there are multiple dynasties and they, they'll they have nuances and disagreements among themselves. So given that's just a footnote. In some communities that Sadiq, though, is seen as it's his it's his prayers that will bring the material provision. Yes. In other words, very in other words, he intercedes in a way that like they're materially gain. They benefit. They eat their very sustenance in life materially, as well as child uh, fruit, fruitfulness in, in building families, you know, uh, having offspring, um, particularly male offspring is, you know, desirable, um, health, wealth, you know, all these things are tied to his well, I, I got. I have a quote here. I have a quote here from from the Evo Encyclopedia. For his part, the Zadik uses faith that the community puts in him in order to focus the spiritual power of all of them together. He aims to employ it on earth and in the divine world to protect and advance the spiritual needs of the community. The Zadik uses his this power in order to uplift his followers' prayers to the divine world, pleading that their sins be forgiven and their repentance accepted and that divine providence be perpetually extended to them. Complete loyalty to the Zadik and his dynasty on the part of the Hasidim and their families is demanded 
and a Hasid identifies himself according to the, this dynasty. Now, I, uh, I yes, that good point. Talk about that a little bit. Okay. In, in other words, you're not just a Hasid, you're just not a Hasid. You're a Hasid of this particular Rebbe. Exactly. Right now, right. and I, I know that it's I I hate to reference Wikipedia, but I will simply just say that Wikipedia. Now they could be totally off, but they list forty six various Hasidic dynasties. Now, there could be more than that, obviously. But uh, that just gives you a little taste of how many dynasties and, and Chabad now. Is one of, Chabad is one of them. Exactly. Now, the difference between the Chabad and the reason that you think of black hat, black suit, all that kind of stuff, is because of Chabad, right? There's different flavors of Chabad who wear all white. Uh, you, you know, there's the guys who have the real fuzzy hats, right? There's all different kinds. But just like this quote says, each Hasid is attached to the dynasty, and that is the Rebbe. The, the Zadik in their midst is the Rebbe. And so uh, this book, interestingly enough now, Schneerson, when Schneerson died, he didn't pass his dynasty on to somebody. Right, 94. 94. Yeah. And this was a huge, huge problem because they can't, they can't continue to uh, follow the, the dynasty if the dynasty ends. However, what did the Chabad do? And this is a huge problem within Judaism because, well, we'll talk about why it's a huge problem. What they said was that, well, he's he is, first of all, they claimed that he was the Messiah, right? They proclaimed him to be the Messiah. And when he died, they said, well, he didn't fulfill the prophecies, but he will be the first to rise you know, in the resurrection, he'll be the first to rise, and that's when he will fulfill the prophecies. Well, this is a huge problem for Judaism because how can we let them say that their Messiah didn't fulfill all the prophecies now, but he will? How are we going to respond to Christianity that has said that since 2,000 years ago? Yeshua died, he rose again, and when he comes back, that's when he'll fulfill the rest of the prophecies, right? And so uh, this is this is a huge issue for for Judaism the the way that they describe Schneerson as the Messiah. Listen to some of these quotes. Now I'm on page uh, what fifty eight. Uh, the Chabad Shlichim. Those are uh, Shlichim is like the sent ones apostles. Apostles, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the, the, if you read the the Peshitta Aramaic, you know, yeah. uh, Gospels, which was written, of course third, fourth century. I'm not saying that's original, but that's just the Aramaic word for, um, for apostle. Yeah. Apostolos. So yeah. it might as well be if you, if in Greek, if we were to read a Greek translation of this, we would say uh, apostle. apostle like, yeah. yeah. Apostles. Yeah. Okay. So the Chabad Shlichim or apostles believe that when they are working in their official capacities, they're acting in the Rebbe's stead, not instead of him, but as him, as an extension of the one who sent them still, they must use their own intellect, skills, feelings, desires, and personal style to accomplish their mission. If they fail, the responsibility is theirs. If they succeed, all glory is to the Rebbe. I mean, this, this to me sounds exactly like what Christianity has said for a very long time. I'm a disciple. I go. I, I try to... You know, I try to evangelize, and, and uh, if it works, it's because the Almighty, you know, because Yeshua was with me. Quote, I consider myself an ordinary person, so how can I ignite the Jewish spark in another person? 
wonders Rabbi Lebovic. It's the Rebbe working through me. This book goes on to say that the, the now deceased Schneerson is with his disciples wherever they go, that he works through them, that he's with them, that he hears them, that they can speak to him. I mean, so here's my question. That he's actually God. Uh, yes. Uh, uh, ultimately, like he's omnipresent. Yes, exactly. He's, he's, he's omnipresent and he's omnipowerful, omniscient. So here's my question. And, uh, uh, omnipotent, I guess is the word. Here, to me, it seems like they have now taken the concept of Christianity and what we've said about Yeshua ever since the first century, right? They've taken this concept, they've repackaged it, and they've used words that are different from us, okay? They've used words like Rebbe and Zadik, which Zadik, for those who don't know, means righteous, righteous one, okay? Um, are we allowed to take those words and apply them since it's our theology from the beginning anyway? I know, and we've talked about using later words that aren't found in the scriptures to describe, and I'll give you a, I'll give you a story here, um, but... You know, is there something wrong with saying that Yeshua is our Rebbe? If it if it makes people think this theology. So here's my story. As many people know, Yeshua Shirts uh, has has uh, pr helped produce this show, um, and so we thank them for that. And what they've done is they've sent us a significant amount of of clothing that <laughs> that Rob and I have benefited from. And uh, so I have a sweatshirt, which we've, I've worn on this show before, and I, I have a shirt that says Yeshua. It just says Yeshua on it. I'm doing some grocery shopping the other day. My, my wife asked me to pick up some br briquettes, which I'm always happy to barbecue. So I grab the briquettes at the store, and I get in line. And there's a lady. I got my Yeshua shirt on, and there's a lady standing in front of me, and the line's going very slowly. And she, I mean, I'm not trying to stereotype, but she looks like she probably attends the the reform synagogue or something in town, or at least that she was raised Jewish. Uh, she, she looks, she looks like she was, you know, raised in a Jewish family. She turns around, she sees my shirt. <clears throat> now keep in mind, I've been reading this book. Okay. So these, these phrases, these words, they're, they're kind of in my head. She looks at my shirt and she says, what does your shirt say? And she does, I can tell this is not a friendly, I think she already knew what it said. And I looked at her and I said, it's the name, it's the name of my Rebbe. It means salvation, which is his name and also what he did. So after that interaction, and she, she didn't say a word. She didn't say anything. She just turned around. <laughs> so after that interaction, I thought to myself, did I do something wrong? Is it wrong of me to refer to my Messiah, who is greater than any Rabbi, any man that, ha that has ever tried to lead anyone, greater than Moses himself, is it wrong of me to put a later title like Rebbe onto him, even though the theology that these people have attached to their, their men in charge of their groups is truthfully the theology in many cases that comes from my teacher, my rabbi, my God, my Messiah. I'm not saying I have an answer. I'm I'm actually asking you. I have you. an idea. I mean, I think in a in a situation like that where you're maybe sprinkling some breadcrumbs and and you're open to a discussion, I don't think it's a problem at all because 
it's not like you're you're going to keep hitting that home and then you're going to publish a book, My Rebbe, Yeshua, right? You're not trying to sell that as the end goal uh, label that we need to use. But in a situation where there's a lot of unknown, you're drawing on common cultural uh, capital to kind of say, hey, this is what I mean. Maybe, maybe something kind of like what you might know this to be. And that's like an offer to build a uh, – a response or to build a an interaction there that then you would go on and help qualify what it is you mean okay let me let now, me ask this it turns then. out that she she went away and, and you didn't have that opportunity to to qualify your statement so let, let me ask you this though you've you've written a paper on the term was it you or was it my dad who wrote a paper on the term rabbi Suggesting that it's actually maybe a later term that was maybe starting to be used a little bit in the first century, but didn't really come around and used for leaders until later. Yet we still call our we still call Yeshua our rabbi, right? Is there I mean, there's nothing wrong with taking that term, which seems to be maybe even a little bit later of a term, uh, the way that it started being used. Is there something wrong? I mean, why is it? Well, that we're, no, I, on there we're on good ground. The earliest. The earliest Jewish texts that have people called rabbi are the Gospels. And the ones called rabbi are John the Baptist and Yeshua. Those are the earliest Jewish texts we have uh, where we hear a story about a person. I agree. And, that, and they're called rabbi by their disciples. Those are, those are the earliest Jewish texts in history. Sure. Are, the, are Gospels that have that. So we're fully empowered <laughs> to use that term unashamedly. Um, but what we're dealing, what we do have an issue with is how the, how the term later came to be used. And then we have to make sure that we preserve that difference so that we can talk about it if the need arises. That's a challenge that, back to Chabad, Chabad has the challenge of using the term Messiah because, because the Gospels have really gone out. If the word rabbi maybe not, uh, has hit home as much with the spread of the gospel throughout the world. The word Messiah certainly has with the spreading of the gospel. So they're, they're coming into a world where Messiah is already a very charged word today, in our day and age. Um, so you don't see Chabad use Messiah a lot. They use it, but th they use it sparingly, right? Rebbe is the big one, probably the biggest. Sadiq probably second to that, and then Messiah probably, because there's, for example, because even with the split in Chabad, there's people who will still call Schneerson Rebbe, but they won't call him Messiah. Sure. They won't call him Mashiach. Yeah. They'll call him Sadiq and Rebbe, and then you'll have others that'll do that, and they'll say, "What well, we're also going to call him Mashiach. So, um, so, but this is the politics of identity. This is the the currency of yeah. of Jew, Jewish symbols, ancient Jewish symbols that we take, and then we we say this is what it means in our dictionary, and you guys have a different dictionary of what it means, but we're using the same word, and that's why conversation is so important. We have to keep talking with each other about these things so we can learn the nuance. Now, the gal you interacted with, she turned and walked away. So, oh well, you know what you. You know, I don't think you have any reason to second guess yourself. I think, you know, you were trying to uh, trigger something that she might relate for the from the best of your guess, get best guess from her world to try to give her some kind of traction with how your relationship is with Yeshua. 
I think you did a great job. You know, and stuff like that happens on the fly. You know, you're just yeah. you're just there. You know, do going with it. So uh, Andre Philippe, who uh, was on this show several weeks ago, says, uh, "I don't think so, Caleb. I think he's saying that he doesn't think there's anything wrong with using a term like that." He says, uh, "I think I think that's what he's saying." And I'll clarify because of what he says here. He says, "I think it is okay to speak like that." Paul used the word circumcision according to how first century Jewish sects used it, not necessarily according to how the Tanakh speaks. It's an interesting perspective. And then Erna uh, says, it's too confusing. I don't want to be associated with the Hasids. I, I, I get it. I, I'm with Erna on that in terms of we're not going to be publishing. That's why I'm against this, uh, uh, the people publishing books oh, yeah. that, actually, that actually try to get mileage out of these terms. And, and like a Jew, uh, rabbi gospel or whatever, you know, this kind of stuff. It's like, come on, you guys, you're, you're trying to use Hasidism to tell the gospel story. And, um, so are we, are we shifting now into the biblical industrial complex? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, look at the time. I know. Okay. So, lines? so, uh, no, this is, I, this is a good segue, but I, I think we'll stop. And, and so for those who do receive our show notes, by the way, if you don't re- receive our show notes, you definitely should. And the way you do that is you go to torresource.com, you hover over the radio button, go down to the Robin Caleb show. And then on there, there's a, on that page, there's a sign up, uh, sign up form. And that hopefully that page is going to be changed a bit, um, with the, with the launch of the new site. Anyway, um, so if you get our show notes, you will notice that there's a bunch of, <laughs> there's a bunch of links that we haven't even, they might be confusing on why in the world we'd have these links. Um, and so we'll save those for next week and we will talk about what Rob and I have now deemed the biblical industrial complex and what this is and what the tower of Bible. That's a, <laughs> and, nice, very nice. The and, well, and and is it a bad thing or is it a good thing? And the answer is yes and and no, and yes and no, right? Um, anyway, so but it's yes. our reality. It's, it's it a, is what a reality. Yeah. A disciple of Yeshua today in this day and age. Um, yeah. Good. So, so I guess that'll be our little teaser for next week. A little teaser for next week, and let's not you know let's not for uh, get that uh, our listeners can uh, if you have any thoughts on anything that we've said this this week, then go ahead and call our comment line two five three four six five thirty two zero five. You can also send us emails, and we sure do appreciate your guys' emails. It's uh, really nice to get messages from you guys and to hear about the things that you want to, to us to talk about. And so send us emails, cheg, that's C-H-E-G-G at TorahResource.com, cheg at TorahResource.com. And boy, we sure appreciate the High Council feeding us all these great uh, these great thoughts and, and agreeing and disagreeing with us and, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, don't forget also to head over to MessianicRadio.com and uh, listen to what I think is music that uh, clearly uplifts uh, and and glorifies our great God and Savior, Yeshua, the Messiah. <laughs>